Are you getting paid what you're worth? What if you could negotiate a higher salary, a better schedule, or better benefits for yourself going into the next year? It is possible with the art of negotiation. In today's episode, we are going to learn how to do just that. Hello there, friend. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Balance. I'm your host, Jenny Stemmerman, and I'm so excited that you're here to hang out with me today because today we're talking about negotiations for your career. Now, this is one of those topics that honestly can be a little bit scary sometimes, but we have a special guest to walk us through the process of negotiating in our careers to help us take out all of the guesswork. Like she's literally going to give you the words to use in email, over the phone, like the exact words to use. So get a pen and paper ready because you're going to want to jot some of these things down. And stay tuned till the end because she's going to show you exactly where you can go to get these templates for yourself. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I can't write that down, stay tuned to the end and she'll tell you where to get it. So who am I talking about? We have a special guest with us today, Claudia Miller. And you guys, she is amazing at being a career coach, like literally amazing. And you'll hear me kind of talk about my story of negotiating. And when I had to do it for the first time in my career, how it was super terrifying. And I had a career coach a lot like Claudia walking that path with me, and it made all of the difference. Now, Claudia helps career-driven women get to the next level in their career. That's what she's passionate about. That's what she's talented in. And that's exactly what she does. She's helped her clients get up to, get this, $100,000 salary increases as well as emails from headhunters from big name companies like Google, Facebook, and so many more. Her workplace expertise has been featured in Forbes, MSNBC, and Thrive Global. Last year, Business Insider put her on their global list of top 23 most innovative career coaches. She definitely knows what she's talking about, and I know she's going to bless you because this is the time of year when we need to be thinking about negotiating for next year. It might not be salary. It could be flexible scheduling. It could be other benefits that you're looking for. It could be a career change altogether. But these are the skills that are going to help you get to where you want. It's one thing to set those goals. It's one thing to kind of think about, dream about what you want. It's another thing to really get into action. And this episode is all about action. So get ready for it. Now, since we're in this whole series about career and end of year reviews, last week we talked about kind of how to prepare for your end of the year with your career and and kind of things to be thinking about, asking yourself the hard questions. So I hope you go back and have a listen to that. We're going to continue into the series next week. So if you haven't hit subscribe yet, make sure you do so already so you don't miss any more episodes in the series. And I'm really wanting to equip you to make this next year where it's a year that you're able to really go after those career goals and keeping every other part of your life going as well. And Really, that's what we talk about inside of our Life Balance Membership. Life Balance Membership is full of courses, resources, member-exclusive podcasts, and so much more. And right now, you can sign up for the annual pass and get two months free for a limited time. So make sure you check that out. You can go to lifebalancemembership.com to learn more. All right, you guys. Now let's get into my interview with Claudia. Claudia, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. It is the time of year to be talking about career and negotiations and all of that good stuff. And I know that you have some great wisdom to share with us. But before we get into all of that, share with our audience a little bit more about who you are. Yeah. So, I mean, foremost, I consider myself to be an ambitious person overall. 
So, you know, a lot of the things that I've gotten to learn is from personal experience. So I'm an avid reader and life learner. And, you know, I always feel that I'm always continuously learning. And actually, a lot of the strategies that I help clients implement in their careers can actually be translated into business as well. So I've been you know, embarking in this journey on how to grow and scale my business. And I've noticed that there's a trend of a lot of the frameworks within career and how to accelerate is also can be utilized for business overall. So that's who I am. And, you know, when I'm not working and helping clients, I'm probably can find me dancing somewhere and probably, you know, because of COVID, I've mostly been dancing in the kitchen while cooking (laughs) and, you know, spending time with my family and my six month old puppy, Yorkie Reese. So that's, you know, in the essence of who I am overall as a person. Oh, bless your heart with a puppy. That is, you know, I never was one that was going to ever have pets. I grew up with like a ton of pets. And so I knew how much work they were. And I hated having like the hair everywhere. So I always said, we're not going to have pets. Well, then my son talked us into getting a dog. And so having the dog, and now I love her. But when she was a puppy, I was like, this is why I didn't want to have pets. (laughs) Because there's a mess everywhere all of the time. They can't be trusted. Like it's just (laughs) so much work. But man, yeah. So good on you. I'm actually the opposite way, but we weren't really allowed to have pets. So I've always wanted a pet. And, you know, I I live in Chicago, so it's in the city. So, you know, there's not a lot of space. So my husband and I agreed that once we move into our home, then we can have a a dog or a puppy. And yeah, kind of like now it's that time. And now I'm realizing how much work they are. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's not just like the cute little pictures that you see when you're like, oh my gosh, why are you rolling around in your own poop? It's like horrible. Yeah. Why are you biting on the baseboards? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, good. Well, we will keep you in our prayers and our thoughts as you move from puppy stage to dog stage. I mean, there's a lot of really good parts to it too. And it, you know, it really, it's a lot like our careers, right? Like there are things that were like, oh my gosh, I never thought I would have to do these things that are horrible. But then there's also the things that make it worth it. And so I love that we're having you on today to discuss kind of career and end of year negotiations. We're all getting ready for end of year reviews and planning for the next year. Some of us out there might be looking for that next opportunity or a better opportunity. I think that right now there's so much flexibility in the workforce that has us all kind of rethinking what we want out of our career and what our goals are might be shifting a little bit. Do you find that same thing? Yes, definitely. Right now, candidates or employees definitely have a lot of leverage, especially if you know how to sell yourself, how to brand yourself. And I mean, I even I have a lot of contacts and networks who are hiring managers or in HR or recruiters. And they're even telling me how astonished they are about what the market, like what's happening in the market overall where they're even offering retention bonuses to entry-level candidates. And what that means is, you know, if we hire you, Jenny, and you do what you're supposed to do, like what we're paying you for, we'll even give you an additional bonus as long as you don't leave us. Yeah. Um, Because of like what's, you know, the great resignation, a lot of people are pivoting industries, changing careers, going to different companies and for various reasons. But definitely right now, if you're job searching, you've been thinking about job searching, I would say take advantage of it right now because there's so much leverage and opportunity and it's on your side where, you know, it makes it easy for you to negotiate that salary or get, you know, finally get paid what you're worth and what the market is willing to pay. So definitely take advantage of it. Yeah. And I love that you say the word leverage, because I think that that ultimately is where we're at right now. And I think 
some people like myself, I'm an Enneagram nine. So I tend to just go with the flow and not rock the boat. And I remember the first time I had to do a salary negotiation for myself and pivoting to a new position within a company I was already a part of. And it just felt so foreign to me. It was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I didn't like any part of the process whatsoever at all, but I learned a lot from it. And that's what I'm really hoping that we can do today for our audiences. Anyone who's out there, because there's some people that are probably going to be like, yeah, I am all for leveraging and really selling myself and, and going after the things I want. But then there's other people out there listening that might be like that idea, but just have no clue where to start. And And the tips that you're going to share with us today, just for our audience to know, like if you are looking for just negotiating where you're at and into this next year for that raise, these tips are going to be for you. If you are someone who is looking to maybe switch careers, switch industries, switch companies, these tips are going to be for you in your job hunt as well to really come out on top. And like Claudia said, leverage all of the skills and the abilities that you're bringing to the table so that you can really reach those goals that you want to have for yourself. And that's really one of the first tips that you have for us is setting your salary goal. So talk to us a little bit about having that vision and that goal for what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I've seen when it comes to salary negotiation is most people haven't done it. I've even worked with executives where they've told me, you know, they're like vice president of sales. So they're very extroverted and they're very, you know, they're used to these uncomfortable conversations and they, you know, they tell me, you know, they share with me that they've never even negotiated their salary because they're that uncomfortable. So if you're listeners, anyone out there, um, if you feel uncomfortable, you feel shy, you kind of start trembling or getting anxiety just thinking about it, know that it's normal and it's common, but it's really understanding what is salary negotiation. And honestly, it's just part of the process. It's part of, you know, being a professional. It's part of the job search. Just like it is signing a, the job offer letter and making it official and you know sending in your bank information so that way they can direct deposit your checks. That's all it is. It's just a process and it's part of it. One thing that I've seen is most people base their next salary based on how much they're currently making. So for example, if someone's making 60000 when they're looking to get promoted or they're thinking about, okay, this is now the next year over and I've been here now for five years and I haven't had really a salary increase. It's only fair that I should ask for maybe 65, maybe 68 and at most 70. So that's what we feel most comfortable with. But we don't even pay attention to that. The market is actually willing us to pay us 90 to 95,000. So an analogy I like to tell clients is if you bought a house for 100,000, are you going to sell it for 150 because it makes sense? Or are you going to sell it for that 300,000 that the buyer is willing to you know, pay for the house? So a lot of people out there are selling their house for 150 when there are buyers willing to pay and buy that house for 300,000. That's a Same great thing analogy. With your salary. Mm-hmm. So, so let me ask you this question real quick on this topic of, because yeah. that's a pretty big jump. You know, when you think about 60 to 90, now in your experience, is it possible for someone, say you're at your existing job and you find out like, wow, this is actually the going rate for what I'm doing. Is it possible? Is it feasible to go to HR or to your, to your boss and say, Hey, this is what the going rate is. I've been doing it for like $30,000 less. Is there a possibility of jumping up to industry standards? Or do you find that it's better to have that jump when you leave company and go to a new job? It is easier when you're leaving companies or when you get a job offer and then you tell your boss and all of a sudden they'll tell you, Jenny, you know, we'll be willing to do, we're willing to match that job offer. How much are they paying you? 
we'll give you that title you've been asking for. And unfortunately, that's that is very common, but it is easier to make that jump. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. We can definitely do that internally. Sometimes you're if there's a huge discrepancy, like you're being underpaid by, and I've seen it by like 60, 80 or 100,000, it's going to be hard to really justify that. Or there's just, the company's just not up to par with industry standards and in regards to compensation. But I mean, that doesn't mean that why not get paid an extra 15, 20,000 already for the role you're already been doing or really enjoy it. Maybe you're at the company because you're learning a lot and you're building great networks and it's really going to make it worthwhile where, you know, you're willing to take a $30,000, $40,000 pay, but eventually it's going to pay out if that makes sense. But overall, you know, one of the things that I would recommend, and especially if you're already currently working is not necessarily say, you know, this is what the market is paying, but you want to build a business case. Honestly, that's what it is. So one thing that I've noticed is, and this is very common. If I were to ask you, Jenny, hey, by the way, do you know what you've been doing, what you did nine months ago, like in your business and this podcast overall? And what were, what were the projects you worked on nine months ago? Honestly, I couldn't even tell you what I did like two weeks ago. I have to refer to my calendar. Yes, I was thinking, I was like, oh gosh, she's going to want me to actually answer that. I have to really think about that. No, and it's really like a rhetorical question. And even like for, you know, employees out there and people working, if, you know, if they, if I were to ask you, you know, what project did you work on six months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago, three months ago? You're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I've been, maybe you're a project manager and you have like this year long project, but do you know exactly what step were you in? Right. Um, and then if we don't know that information, how is our manager supposed to know, especially when they're managing, you know, even more people? So one thing is really understanding and documenting what are all the projects that you've worked on these past 12 months? What did the before and after look like, especially because of your input? And then talk about, you know, understanding and documenting some of those outcomes and challenges. Maybe a project didn't go so well. Maybe it didn't meet its deadline. Maybe you had to go over budget. But even documenting, why did it go over budget? Why didn't it meet the deadline? What was the bottleneck that happened in that project? That's intel that now you have that you previously didn't have. And honestly, the market values that. Because if I were to you know, start another project and I can say, Jenny, I know you worked on this project before and you, know, you already know and anticipate what's going to happen wrong. So let me know in advance so that way I can set you up for success and we can make sure we meet this project deadline. As opposed to someone that's never done it. And then you're like, well, I don't know what I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll figure it out once I get that project. So it's really building that business case and going to and prepping your manager as well. Don't, you know, on your performance review, say, surprise, Jenny, you're underpaying me by $30,000 and the market is willing to pay me that. I need a raise. And you're going to say, well, okay, where did this come from? Let's talk about this. I can't just give you that salary increase. I need to speak to HR. So you really want to prep your manager and not just like, you know, surprise them all of a sudden because you want them to do kind of like that back end and start budgeting and find, figure out like how much can they give you? So That's one thing really I recommend, yeah, one thing I recommend clients to say or anyone that wants to negotiate you know, during like their performance review, most of the time that's already scheduled out or there's like a time frame, like, you know, January, February, March. And then you can, you know, reach out to your manager and say, hi, Jenny, you know, I look forward to my performance review coming up, you know, on January 15th. Here are some of the items that I wish to discuss during this performance review, overall my performance, also the past work that I've been doing in these past 12 months and all the projects. And then, you know, talking about the future as well as salary compensation. I look forward to our meeting and I look forward to our conversation. I love the sounding of that because it just sounds very proactive. 
and confident. Like it brings about a sense of confidence of, I know what I did. This is what I want to talk about. And it really creates a whole different playing field. Now, a question I have for you is how do you find out kind of what the going rate is for what the work it is that you're doing? I love this question because I mean, what most people do is when they try to figure out their salary, they go online, they Google. And then there's something like the salary or the information that Google or that search provides is horrible. Like, for example, project manager can be anywhere between 40,000 and 130,000. Yeah. And you're like, well, where do I fall? Like, how do I know am I being underpaid or not? So one of the things that it's been very successful, especially when figuring out your salary, and most people are very uncomfortable talking about salary. Obviously, I'm very confident. I, I love talking about money. Let's talk about it. Let's make sure that we are making sure that we're getting paid, you know, what the market is willing to pay for their skills and services. But an easy way to do that is to network with people who have been in your current role or the role you're looking to apply for and are two to three levels above it. So what that means is if you're a marketing coordinator and you're applying to be a marketing manager, then you want to reach out to maybe a director or senior director of marketing. So that way you can go to them and say, hey, by the way, Johnny, you know, I noticed that we both are coming, are both marketing professionals in the same industry. And I actually also used to work at, you know, Target, or I'm currently a you know marketing specialist. And I was wondering if I can get on a quick call with you for 20, 30 minutes and really discuss, you know, I would really like your insights and expertise into the industry and how are you able to break into the marketing manager role and you know, just overall learn from your experience. And once you get on a call with them, is asking them, by the way, can you give me like a 10K range of what an average marketing specialist makes within this industry? So they don't, they're not telling you how much they're making. Now they're talking about, oh yeah, back in the day when I was a marketing specialist, here's how much I made. Or they can tell you, well, I know how much I made, but I know that this is how much we pay our employees. So we pay them anywhere between 55 and 65,000 because we are you know, a public company we offer a 10% bonus. And then depending on the situation, we might offer like a 5K sign-on bonus as well. And then you can, you can ask, what makes a candidate get offered 65,000 instead of the 55,000? And then now you have like the hardest skills that are hard to hire for. And then you want to lead with that. That's going to be kind of like your market differentiator. That's your leverage now. So when you can now go back to your boss and say, you know, based on all the work that I've done, I've been able to do A, B, and C and for the past 12 months. And here's what I'm looking to achieve in the next, you know, six to 12 months in the upcoming year. And one of the things that I noticed is, you know, what the market is paying. I know for my roles and expertise, and especially what I've been acquiring for the past 12 months since being in this role from our last conversation is, you know, my, the going rate for this role is 65000 Is there any way we can close that gap? Mm. Just stay quiet. And just stay quiet. I think that that is like the biggest tip right there. Just stay quiet. Let them talk. Let them figure it out. And if they tell you, well, you know what, Jenny, right now it's just not a good time or the budget or whatever excuse or reasoning they may have, then you can start questioning. Oh, I definitely understand it, Jenny. You know, one of the things that then I would like to learn more is how is compensation determined? Like what makes a person get paid this salary over this salary? Are there specific metrics happening? When is a good time to discuss salary compensation? The, you said the budget's already set up. Well, when should I be having these conversations? And can mm -hmm. we talk a little bit more that now I've been in this role for two or three years, I'm ready now to move to the next step in my career. Now I'm looking to be a marketing manager. Can you walk me through that of what needs to happen in order for me to make it or jump or pivot into that role? 
I love that you brought that up because that was going to be my next question for you is say you you want to have a better salary, you're looking for an increase in your income and you do all of this research and you find out you're actually kind of at the top for that <laughs> yeah. position. You know, we've talked about the other scenario if you're underpaid, but what if you find out you're overpaid or you're kind of at that ceiling, then what? Well, the rule of thumb is if you're a sole contributor, meaning you are not managing anyone, you're just, you know, doing the work you do, you should stay in your role for about two to three years. One of the things I tell people is when you go into a role, make it a goal to always leave the job better than what you came in. So if once you leave that role and either move companies or get promoted, the person coming in should not have to do the exact same thing you did. You should have improved processes or built better relationships or created solutions or training guide. So that should always be your goal. So not only you know, learning the department, learning the processes, but leaving it better than what you came in. And that's really going to help overall in your career. And then afterwards, once you've understood that, and then really, once you start getting bored or you know frustrated, you feel like, all right, is there anything else that I can do? You obviously will always have work to do, but if it no longer, there's nothing else to learn and it's challenging you or building and you know sharpening that skill set, usually it happens within two to three years. Then it's time for that next role. And if you still stay and you find yourself, well, I've been in my role for five, six years, one, you're losing skill sets because you're not being competitive anymore. Two, now you're being pigeonholed within that department and role, meaning you're not learning other processes and systems that other companies or your competitors may be using. Three, you're also being underpaid. Usually when you stay within the same role, you get what? Maybe one, two, three, maybe 5% salary increases over time. Well, if you were to just go to a new, another company, now you can make 20, 30, 50. And I mean, even in some cases, my clients have received over $100,000 in salary increases for the same role. You know, one of the things that I advise now, if you're like a supervisor manager, usually it's anywhere between three to five years. And then once you go into the director, senior director role, then it could be anywhere between five to 10 years, all the way to the executive suite. So that's like a good rule of thumb to follow. So if you're like, oh, well, I've been in my role and I don't even manage a team and I've been doing this for six years, it's time to move to the next step. So it's planned in advance as opposed to saying, oh, I'm bored. Let me figure that out. And you find that you've been in your role for six to eight years. Instead say, well, the next role is still a sole contributor. So I have three years to be in this role. Here's what I'm going to accomplish within the next three years. And also I'm going to start building my skill sets for the next role. So maybe my next role is going to be manager. I need to identify what skill sets are going to be needed in three years when I do want to break into this manager role. And now I know that I have the next three years to build on that skill set as opposed to finding out when it's too late. And now I got to invest another year to building these skills to then break into management. That's really great. Like, I think that that way of breaking it out from sole contributor to supervisor manager to executive and how many years in a range that you would be at each of those different levels, I think is golden advice because it helps you kind of plan and figure out what to expect and keep your expectations, you know, kind of in check and, and kind of having a roadmap in front of you. Obviously, there's not everything is going to be exactly like that, but I do think it is helpful to have that roadmap. And as you were talking, I kept thinking, you know, there's a, when you look at like a company and I'm thinking about some companies that I've been a part of before that were quite large, there's a lot of sole contributors. There's only a, you know, a smaller amount of supervisors or managers and a, just a handful of executives. So not everyone is going to go through those ranks. And I think that that's why it's so important to have that roadmap and kind of be thinking ahead of what the skills are that you need to have so that you are those people that move through the ranks and not just stay stagnant. Exactly. 
It's that time of year again. Yep, getting ready for career planning and end of year reviews. The process can seem overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. I've put together a simple one-page worksheet to guide you through the career evaluation process for yourself. It's normally part of the Career Resources Inside Life Balance membership, but you can get it for yourself for free right now for a limited time. Just go to yourliferocks.com and you'll find a link on the homepage. If you're already on my email list, you'll find it in your inbox. Again, go to yourliferocks.com to get your free worksheet today. Happy year in planning. And I mean, I'm not going to lie and say, you know, every manager is going to want to promote you or there's going to be opportunities within your company to get promoted. And actually, personally, I kind of went like what I say I've done and I follow. So I like to walk the talk. So when I was a sole contributor um, and I was doing really well in my role that I even got recognized by the CEO and he was having me lead a task force of all our executive and leadership team. And I mean, some of them had more experience than I had been alive at that point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was ready for the next promotion or the next step, plus the salary increase. And I had a conversation with my boss and, you know, I, like I said, there's just so much, let's focus on what we can control and then let's focus on that. And my boss at the time, you know, he was from like that um, old school mentality of, well, I was in the same room for 10, 15 years and I paid my due. So when that person above me got promoted or left or retired, then I got to move into that role. And you should just be patient, Claudia, as well. And then just wait your turn when it's time. And at that point, you know, like I said, I'm not going to be able to change his methodology. I know a lot of people are very, you know, if I had to do go through this and you have to go through that. And my mentality is, if you're so great and it took you time to get there, why can I, you, I can learn from you and you show me how to do it in a fraction of the time. And if you can't show me how to do that a fraction of the time, are you even that good of a leader or at your job? Yeah. So at that point, that's when I made a decision. I, you know, I totally understand. I respect it. And I, I, I try to negotiate. It just wouldn't, he wouldn't budge. So then I started job searching and I got a job offer with a $30,000 salary increase, plus stock options, plus bonus <laughs> and better benefits. And I got to work from home. And of course, when I told my boss that, then all of a sudden he said, well, what can we do to keep you? Well, we can't necessarily match the 30K salary increase, but we can give you a 15K salary increase and I can give you a promotion and a job title. All of a sudden, he's able to do all these things. And, you know, I already had made a decision. If you're not going to promote me, I'm going to promote myself and I will give myself a salary increase. And that's exactly what I did. And like I said, it's not always like you're not everyone is going to have a great boss and understanding or the company is going to be that supportive. But that's when you have to make a choice. Do you want to stay here and stay stagnant and already know what opportunities are there for you? Or are you going to do something about it and then start executing on that and making the change that you want to see? Yeah, I think that that's really great. You know, and there's been times in the past, I'm thinking as you were talking, I was remembering this instance where for myself, where I was at the executive level and the next level up, like the pay would have been great, but the lifestyle was not one Mm -hmm. conducive to the other goals that I had for my life. And so I made a, a career shift and went into it kind of the same industry, but in a different role and kind of had to start over again at the sole contributor. But because of the skills that I had, I was able to keep kind of salary-ish the mm-hmm. same, but it was like starting over. And, and it was a whole different mental process too. And I think it was not something I ever really expected. But you know, when you think about kind of moving up that corporate ladder, yes, the salary increases, but so do a lot of the other pressures and stresses and hours and and maybe even just the 
roles that you're having to execute that might not be in alignment with who you are or what you want out of your life. And so I think that that's an important thing to be thinking about as well. And that's one of the, your, your other tips that you have is kind of prepare and expect the unexpected. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So one of the things I've noticed, and this happens with interviews, salary negotiations, especially when getting that job offer or your performance review, we already know that it's coming or may be coming. Obviously, if you're job searching, then you know the next thing is going to happen, interviews. like We know that it's coming. So that's the expected. Or we're interviewing, we're doing so well, then we can expect a potentially a job offer. Or if we're currently working, we know that performance reviews are within these timeframes. So we can already expect that. But people don't really prepare for it. Or they do very little preparation. I know for a lot of interviews, my clients before working with me, they'll tell me, you know, well, before an interview, maybe I looked up the person on LinkedIn. I looked at the website. Maybe I did a quick Google search. And that's about it. And I knew that as far as like what answers I wanted to prepare and say, I knew I was going to know when I was there or I'll just wing it. Or I'll just know what to say once I get there. In similar situations, you know, with sound negotiation or performance reviews, like, okay, well, it's more of a, a passive approach and it's, there's no preparation really into it. One of the things that I like to do is if we already know what's coming, why don't we prepare for it? Let's enable our success. We already know they're going to ask you, tell me about yourself. Do you have a really good answer? Do you ramble on? Do you walk them through your resume, your entire biography and your past experience? Or are you getting to like hitting the nail on the head where you're really branding yourself and selling yourself in a way that's making you stand out from the competition? How can we make sure we take control during the interview so that way we can really talk about things we want to mention and discuss that we know it's going to be very important for the interview process. And we know that they're exactly looking for these skill sets. And I'm going to highlight that for them. So prepare for those questions. Don't assume, don't wing it, don't figure it out. Like do that actual preparation, not just looking at the company website. Have you listened or reviewed the company earnings call? Have you seen what press or trends are happening? What are the competitors doing? You know, what is overall maybe the industry may be doing or what are some of the strategies? If you're in marketing, what does their social media look like? How often do they post? How many followers? What does their competition have? Is there a potential gap in there that you can realize that they should be doing, but they're not doing? That's the type of research I have my clients doing that when they go and interview for these jobs, no candidate can really stand a chance against them because they've already been working on this for anywhere between three to six weeks that most candidates maybe spend a few hours, uh, maybe two, three days, but you just can't compete three days with four to six weeks worth of work and research. That's so good. It's, you know, it is like when you're trying to find a new job, it's like a part-time job or a full-time job, just doing the research (laughs) and preparing for it. Now, I love that you're talking about this as like part of the process, whether you're going into your year-end reviews and negotiations in your current role or looking for a new job, like it's all there's a process that you can expect and you can kind of follow and kind of figure out like what that next step is and be proactive. And we talked about like how salary negotiation is just part of that process and either one of those paths, right? But for those people out there, like you mentioned early on that there are executives that you know that have never done a salary negotiation. I remember the first time I had to do one, it felt so foreign. I didn't know who I was going to be doing it, how it all happened. And I think that that like being prepared and knowing ahead of time what that's going to look like, it can be really helpful to kind of release some of that anxiety and better prepare. So can you kind of talk to us a little bit about 
who at the company normally handles those types of negotiations, kind of what that looks like as far as like how you can be organized for it, how that happens. Like, is it a verbal conversation? Is it over email? Is it written? Mm -hmm. How does that all happen? And, And kind of give us a little bit of insight into that. Yeah. So, I mean, if there's a performance review, you're going to have it with your manager. Your manager then will go to HR and say, you know, what are the steps or what are the metrics or certain things that I need to do in order to give an employee a raise or a promotion? And HR usually has like the steps or metrics if the company even has it. If the company is sometimes you'd be surprised, even big companies, like there's no set metrics where we can say, oh, if you meet these things, then you should be promoting or this employee should be at this level then they may have to reach out to their boss and say, you know, Jenny came in and she wants to make this much. I mean, she does have done really great work and she's the one that helped us do A, B, and C. But again, they have this information because you already told them during that conversation beforehand. Or, you know, when I say like, have your manager prepare before you even have the conversation, they're probably going to reach out to HR and see like, oh, we don't have any metrics or we may have to get this information, but at least they've already done some of that research. Then when you come in and have that conversation, walk them through everything you've done, what you're looking for, the compensation, then they can say, well, you know what, in order for me to promote you or make this much, you know, you need to be, I don't don't know, have the certification or have this master's in order for me to promote you or whatever grid system they might have. And other, or they might say, you know what, currently we just did the budget and that may be true or not. Or they can say, well, let me see what I can do. And what that means is they might have to go and ask their boss and build a business case in your behalf of why you deserve that um, salary increase and or promotion. Now, from like the job searching perspective, if it's a new job, then more than likely to be the HR person that reaches out to you saying, Jenny, congratulations, we want to extend your job offer. We want you to come in as a marketing manager. And then, you know, they'll respond, you know, the salary is, you know, 65000 with a 10% bonus. And we have an employee stock purchase program. We can send you the offer letter in the next few hours. And then that's when you can come in and say, well, thanks so much. You know, I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to work at the company. And especially in this role, I know, you know, I can definitely provide and bring a lot of value to the organization and department. One thing that I did want to discuss is the salary. I know you mentioned the compensation is 65000 I was actually looking for a salary of 75000 Is there any way we can close that gap? Mm, that's a good question. Is there any way we can close that yeah. gap? And I know just from my own personal experience that sometimes the negotiation process begins before you're even offered the job as far as them asking you, like, what's your current compensation look like, you know, as part of like the interview process. So they, as they're preparing that package for you, they can, you know, make it as attractive as they want to. And and one of the things that when I was going through this, and luckily I had a coach like you to help me do a negotiation when I was switching companies, but I thought about just my salary not my Mm -hmm. overall compensation. And the company that I was leaving, I had a company vehicle with a gas card. My cell phone was paid for by the company, plus my salary, plus amazing healthcare benefits, plus annual bonuses. So there was like a whole overall compensation that for me, when I was just thinking, I was just thinking, what's my paycheck, you know? And I think that sometimes we lose sight of all of those other benefits that are part of our compensation package and how we can really leverage those in the negotiation process as well. Yes. And I was going to say, you know, one of the things I ask, I tell clients to always do is always ask for that benefits package as well. So they might say, well, you know what? They're usually not going to say, yes, we can actually pay the 75000 It's really rare. I have yet to come, someone to come across that. Either they offer you really good compensation where, you know, maybe you're making 90, we anticipate it and we ask 
120 and then they offered 150 and we're like, oh, this is at the top of the range of the salary. So let's look at the benefits package. One case, I had a client do this. They had, I think, a $30,000 salary increase, which, you know, sounded really good. Then, you know, they reviewed the benefits package and I show them how to review it. And what we found out is, you know, this client in particular had a child with special needs and there was a lot of medical bills in relation to that. But because he had a really good insurance at the time, it covered most of it. But at his new company that was, you know, he was looking to move to, didn't have that great of insurance company. So when we did the research, he would have had to, him and his family would have to pay out at least like $1,200 a month out of pocket. So that pretty much wipes out half of that salary fees my client received. So then we created a salary plan. There's like a plan A, plan B, and plan C. And it could be in regards to different types of benefits. And this is also helpful if you're applying for a non-for-profit where it's very limited salary, or maybe there's your salary is based on a grant, but there's all you can still negotiate benefits. So when my client came, they had this conversation with the HR person and they said, well, you know what? I'm glad that you brought that up. Let's see what we can do. And they couldn't necessarily change like the health insurance plan, but they were able to give him like a $12,000 or $15,000 on top of the base in order to help him cover those medical bills. So that's kind of a, an example of really understanding your benefits and really applying it to how it impacts your you know, personal situation and your family, just because every family and every person is different. So definitely look into the benefits. I had another client where, like I said, they already offered her a really great salary. She was previously making 90. We were based on the industry and everything. We, our research told her around 120, 130. She got offered 150. So then what we negotiated or she negotiated and we strategized is for them to pay or give her a professional stipend of $10,000 that was to be utilized for her to get her black belt, Lean Six Sigma, which cost $10,000 out of pocket. And the company said yes. So that was an additional benefit that she received and she didn't have to pay out of pocket. And those are things that you can plan for, but you have to do that in advance. It's hard to come up with these things like right on the spot. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's the biggest thing. If you can walk away with things that are going to benefit you, whether it is more salary or it is like a paid new certification that can help your career down the line or benefits or a sign-on bonus or, or whatever that is, that's all a win, right? Like that's all part of that increase in helping you move forward, which I think is is really helpful. Now, the last question I have for you, Claudia, really is just, you know, when we're talking about all of this negotiation, whether it is in a new job or it's in your existing job, that it, it does require a certain level of confidence, right? Of your skill set and wanting and knowing your value moving forward. But how do people get there? Like, how do you mentally prepare to do this? Because it is kind of an uncomfortable conversation. And, and a lot of us are not very good at looking back at our track record to say, I'm awesome in X, Y, and Z. So how do we mentally prepare for for this for ourselves so we don't undersell ourselves. Yeah. Well, I, I really focus on mindset first because that's usually what's preventing people from negotiating. You know, most people what I hear is, well, I don't want to negotiate because I don't want them to pull the job offer. Or I don't want them to think that I'm greedy. You know, how do I even know that I could even negotiate my salary? How do I know that I'm being underpaid? I don't even know where to start. Or, you know, what do they think that I'm only looking for the job for the money. And like all of a sudden these reasons come and it's because that's where our our fear is coming from. And even for myself, like 
I've negotiated my salary multiple times successfully. And even every single time I told my mom that I was going to, hey, mom, I got a job offer and you know, I'm going to be negotiating the salary. She kept telling me, don't negotiate. Like, why would you do that? You should just be grateful you have a job, you know, that they're offering this job offer, you know, just be happy with what they're offering you. It's a really good salary already. And all these reasons why, even though I had successfully and I had my business on salary negotiation, for her, it's still very like, no, 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 don't do that. And it's very common. So if you know that friends or family members have that mindset, don't even discuss that with them. So it's understanding of what is this fear coming from? But once you change it to it's part of the process, it's like saying, oh, my God, I don't want to sign the job offer. You know, what's going to happen? Are they if I sign this too fast, like all of a sudden, like you think that's ridiculous. Like, no, they obviously are going to sign the job offer. And so think of it as just part of the process. And honestly, you know, I have my own podcast where I've had executive women and recruiters and executive recruiters come into my podcast. And then I ask them, you know, can you tell me what's most surprising, you know, overall about hiring process? And what thing they tell me is, well, I usually have, let's just say they have a budget of 60 to 80,000. They usually offer maybe 70 to 75,000. So that way, if the candidate negotiates, there's still room within the budget to pay them more. But most people don't negotiate. So they leave with leaving money on the table. And that's what's surprising. So know that they don't always offer you this the top end of that salary range because they're already anticipating you negotiating. So you might as well negotiate and ask for that amount. Worst case scenario, they say, unfortunately, we can't make that happen. And then you can talk about benefits. You know, one thing that I did is I worked at a state hospital. So we had like 33 vacation days plus 13 sick days. I mean, it was ridiculous wow. how much time off we had. And I negotiated that. You know, one of the things is, you know, you guys only have like 10 vacation days. So, you know, I'm leaving 33 vacation days. Of, like we started having these conversations. And then that's what, you know, one of the reasons also I, I had additional benefits and salary increases because I was able to build that business case again. So that's one of the things that first, let's address the mindset. It's just part of the process. And honestly, when you negotiate your salary, it's a competence trigger. You as the candidate, as an interviewer, if I'm the hiring manager, if you negotiate your salary, I can tell you're confident. You know that you can build a business case. You're strategic. I have more confidence in you, Jenny, now hiring you. And if you were to, if I were to put you with vendors or contracts, I know that you're going to do what's best for the company because you were able to negotiate for yourself. So it's a, like a, you're be, showing that you're being a top performer, and if you're nervous about negotiating your salary and you're managing a team, how do I know that you're going to be able to handle if an employee negotiates a salary? Are you just going to crumble? So think about it like that. I'm trying to be a top employee. I want to come across as confident and it's just part of the process. Therefore, I have to negotiate my salary. Now, that is so great. Yeah. And then now the skill set is we already know we're going to negotiate. So why don't we just practice? Like I said, it is very uncomfortable. I can say it's so nonchalant, very calm and like conversational because I've been doing this for so long, but I didn't start, you know, sounding like that. I was very nervous, but the way I kept getting better is I kept practicing it, whether it's practice with your pet, if you know, you're too shy or nervous, then practice with like your spouse or partner or friends, your kids. And then eventually it'll go into your subconscious that it'll just come out normal. I mean, you still might feel a little bit nervous just knowing that it's coming, but it's not going to sound like you're quivering, like just prepare for it and saying, you know, this is just part of the process going through that mindset again. Obviously, you're a great candidate because they're offering you the job or you're already a great candidate because you still have the job and you're still working there. 
And now you kind of documented all the great work that you've done. So do it with conviction. And, you know, that's how you're going to come across as confident. And like I said, prepare for it, especially if I know, like I have clients that are introverts, you know, I'm not extrovert, Claudia, like I, I, that's just not me. And, you know, I, I always tell them, do it in your own way, but still do it. I mean, if they were to, just like if you go to, um, I don't know, like a restaurant and they're say number 58, are you going to say, well, I can't say that I'm number 58 and that's my food order because I'm an introvert. Instead, you're going to say like, oh, I'm, I'm 58. You know, that's my food right, order. Right. Same right. thing with that. Like, it just takes practice and everyone, you know, we don't have the opportunities or at least here in the U.S. It's not like it's on the, uh, we negotiate every single day or every single week or every month or every year. And sometimes people can go their lifetime, you know, really negotiating something like salary or groceries or something we're buying. I mean, unless we go to like a pawn shop or right. <laughs> like those markets, uh, flea markets and everything. But, you know, it's not, don't feel bad. Don't feel, you know, it's very common. So that's, and I always say like, that's your baseline. Now you know what to do, practice it, prepare already for the expected. And I feel like I didn't answer your question of the unexpected is at the end of the day, we know that when you're Someone is hiring someone is they're really trying to figure out three things. It's, you know, are you a good person to hire, work with? Will I enjoy working with you Two, Are you resourceful um, in a way that you can do this job successfully? And if not, you can learn how to do it because you're again resourceful. And then three, making sure you're not putting the company at risk. Like it just bottles down like to those three things. So if you can say, look, it doesn't matter what question they ask me. I know that if I can answer and address these three items, then, you know, I'm already ahead of it. And because I've done so much research, I already have so much insight that I may not know exactly, but I know what to pull in and, you know, prepare and pull out of my toolbox based on my conversations, the networking or research that I've done, that I know that I have a methodology and framework in order to do that successfully. So good. Such great information. And, you know, I think that the thing that takes out a lot of this guesswork of anyone who is really kind of like, I, I know I need to do that. I want to be able to negotiate, but it just still feels so uncomfortable is having someone who's a career coach, someone who is well-versed and experienced in this walk this path with you when you're going through it. I, I had that when I made a career transition in the past and it was golden to be able to have someone who can reiterate exactly what your skills are to help you with that mindset piece and to really move you through each step to say, okay, this is what they said. Now, what do I say? And mm -hmm. having that expert in your corner really is beneficial. And that's what you do. So if someone really wants some help in moving through this process or anything with their career, and they want to work with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? They can go to my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. So T is in Tom, ClaudiaTMiller.com. And, you know, even there, I'll be sharing, um, if your listeners want, you know, I'm developing right now how they can get access for free, my sound negotiation scripts that they can follow when they're getting a job offer. Um, and I'm building other things around it, but they can get that in the website at claudiatmiller.com. That is golden to be able to have. Like that is purely <laughs> amazing that you have those scripts available. I mean, even just hearing the things that you're saying, I was thinking, gosh, anyone who's going through this process right now needs to re-listen to the podcast. <laughs> just pause it, write it down because the words that you're using are just really, really fantastic. Well, Claudia, thank you so much for coming on the show and providing such generous, amazing tips that I know are going to be such a blessing to those that are listening. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Jen. And, you know, I hope that your listeners really enjoyed and found this very useful with everything. So thanks for having me on the show, Jenny. 
Hey, thanks for hanging out with me today. Just because the show is over doesn't mean we have to stop hanging out. Hit subscribe and dive into another episode or jump on over to my YouTube channel for more content to help you thrive as a working mom. Ready to get into action? You can find a number of resources at yourliferocks.com, including the free weekly success planning course. Sign up for free at yourliferocks.com. Talk to you soon.